welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. This episode is a special one to me. It's one of the sessions from our Higher Ed Insights Summit 2023. If you'd rather watch the session than listen, go ahead and find all those on the Enrollment Insights blog at niche.bz insights. And under the Enrollment Insights blog in the menu, choose Higher Ed Insights Summit. Enjoy. All right. Thanks, Will. And uh, good morning or afternoon, everyone. Again, my name is Chris Ferguson. I'm the Vice President for Enrollment Strategy here at University of the Pacific. Um, a little bit about me. I, uh, I have my MSW, uh, my undergrads in behavioral sciences, you know, blend of psychology, sociology. I was a clinical social worker in the Denver metropolitan area before I accidentally um, became an admission counselor and then never left. I went back and got my doctorate in higher ed management and really uh, uh, learned how to apply probably what I learned in social work to the organizations of higher ed institutions and am drawn to institutions that need help to change, um, in particular change their enrollment management uh, uh, organization strategy. I'm, I'm drawn to very low yield rate institutions to help those yield rates climb um, as quickly as possible. I've worked at five very different types of uh, nonprofit higher education institutions. Um, I first developed my first strategic enrollment management plan um, from attending the Snowmass Institute in 2003. I attended it for five consecutive years to continue to build that plan out. Um, a lot of what you see today is just a modified version of, of that as things have changed. Um, and kind of related to that, that last bullet um, really is um, the co-founder of the Strategic Enrollment Institute, uh, which is really a rebirth of the Snowmath Institute, Snowmass Institute, which ended in 2007. And so, so a lot of what you're going to get today is like a weeks long infant institute, you know, condensed again into that into that shorter format. Uh, for those of you that don't know about University of the Pacific, um, we are chartered as the first private university in the state of California in 1851. Um, we're in Northern California. Our main undergraduate campus is in Stockton, and uh, which is kind of sandwiched in between San Francisco and Sacramento, where we have um, you know two other campuses. Um, there's nine schools and colleges. Um, we have about 6,300 uh, 6, total students. You can see the, the mix there between undergraduate and graduate. We'd probably be viewed as uh, one of the larger small um, liberal arts Colleges, if you will, with a lot of professional um, programs as well. You can see the list of programming that we that we offer here. Our pharmacy schools, our large graduate program on the Stockton campus. Dentistry is in San Francisco. Our law school and health sciences um, are in Sacramento. Uh, Thirty percent of our undergraduate students are underrepresented minorities. Twenty-five percent at the graduate level, and fourteen percent at the professional enrollment. And so we're, we're, we're often viewed as uh, one of the more diverse institutions in the state of California, uh, private institutions. Uh, we have a 14 to 1 student-faculty ratio, average class size of about 24 students, just to kind of give you a sense of where I'm coming from um, today. And so this also shares with you the, the structure, very similar to the structures that I've helped design at other institutions that I've been at. Um, when I first got here three years ago, um, enrollment management was undergraduate admission and financial aid. 
And so I've worked with the academic side of the university here, as well as the president's office and other cabinet members to bring together these other areas to build a more robust enrollment strategy division. And so we have a director of enrollment access and inclusion. And then uh, under some other leadership, if you will, we have first year admission enrollment marketing, which is a very robust kind of creative shop, if you will. Um, financial aid and enrollment strategy. Then we have our operations is named enrollment technology and analytics, uh, graduate enrollment, transfer enrollment. And really this is about preparing to build your recruitment plan or, or even, even use this as a way to uh, kind of check the boxes, if you will, if you're already working, you know, from a very robust and uh, comprehensive recruitment plan. And so within the context, I'm going to share with you within the context of uh, your university's mission, vision, and strategic plan, if you have a strategic plan, there are, there are presidents out there that don't believe in strategic plans. I happen to work for one. Um, establish clear, innovative, and realistic goals um, at the university level and then for each school and college to really help determine what the net tuition revenue is. And then that becomes ultimately my goal, you know, what's what's our net net tuition revenue goals for the entire institution based on the number of new and returning students. Um, and then diversity too, not just ethnic and racial diversity. We know there's there's some limitations now, you know, on the admission side of the house for that, um, but also socioeconomic diversity. I've always worked at, uh, at really uh, tuition driven institutions. And socioeconomic diversity is often a big part of um, really creating a robust admission pipeline. Um, what's the academic profile we're looking for? Retention rates, how to increase retention, graduation rates, always thinking about that when developing that plan, even if I don't have direct oversight of some of those areas. Um, being strategic, of course, I think putting a plan together um, is, is really about... Uh, about keeping it at the strategic level and then drilling down into the tactics. And so what I found helpful for me over the years and some of the other institutions I've worked with is to build it from a student life cycle model, which I'll go into, you know, some of the details. And then here are some of the other areas that I frequently work with around the university to help build those plans. For those of you not in California or in the West, does it get dry here? <laughs> so I, I'll take sips of water from time to time. This is, I think, what uh, what a lot of us are familiar with and maybe even still use when we talk about the funnel um, in our plans and our process. I've always gone to institutions. Most of the institutions I've gone to, the funnel has been really martini glass, you know, like, like a lot on the top end with very low yield rate. So my goal has always been to try and, you know, widen that uh, where the admits and the tricks come in, if you will. And so I've, I've, I've in general, um, brought to, to the places that I've been at really to kind of change to a pipeline model. And then our goal becomes to widen that pipeline, if you will. And to think differently now about search, you know, how to build an inquiry pool, applicant pool, in order to admit the students that we want who are more engaged, more likely to matriculate as students. And then I've taken that even further to build a student life cycle model. Some of these next slides are going to be hard, I think, for you to see um, because there's a lot of information in them. But when you get them, as Will said, he'll send this out. Um, hopefully you can you know, take screenshots and blow it up or, or email me. I'll have my email at the end where you can contact if you do want some easier versions to play with, if you will. 
But the student life cycle model, and over the years when I've met provosts and other folks who know absolutely nothing about the work that we do in admission or enrollment management, uh, I've, I've built in, you know, the mission, vision, and strategic plan is actually a part of the, of the life cycle of the pipeline, followed by academic programs, followed by enrollment goal planning. And then, boom, you know, you start creating a recruitment plan of, uh, you know, prospect cultivation, inquiry cultivation, applicant cultivation, and so on and so forth. And then I've plugged in really, really first year through fourth year, um, even if a lot of our students go fifth or sixth year before graduating. So kind of focusing on those areas, because what I found is that a lot of the engagement that we do on the front end doesn't necessarily consistently happen, you know, especially in that first and second year um, to keep students informed and engaged and, and checking in, if you will, all the way through graduation and then, of course, alumni engagement. So this has also helped me, as you'll see, you know, kind of look at, you know, common variables or characteristics in students that graduate and then are proud of where they graduated and are active alumni and using some of those characteristics to help inform our search strategies. So we're always in a position to kind of recruit alumni, if you will. Students are more likely to persist, graduate, and then be engaged. And so I've broken those segments down here just to get a, to equip you. Also, I'm not a graphic designer. So, so <laughs> the colors, the schemes, and all that, you know, it, it's, uh, it, you know, might, might be hard to look at. Apologies. This is a, this is another view, if you will. This is typically the view that I use to to share with the cabinet, president, provost, um, VPs of student life, VP of athletics, director of athletics um, development. Um, it's really an easy, you know, kind of snippet for me to explain what I'm walking you all through today. How important it is that we have the right academic programs or we actually accept the facts of those academic programs of how market sensitive they are, if they're attractive or not, and how that actually needs to inform, you know, the enrollment goal planning process, really locking in, if you will, baking in what the enrollments are within that budget. So then we can go out and, you know, do the work that, that we need to do in order to help the institution thrive. So it's really just really a different way to articulate everything. Now, this is the one I think that I'm referencing that's that's going to be very hard for you to see the details in this, but I wanted you to see the full view of what I do in order to plan things out. Those first two um, arrows, the mission, vision, strategic plan, as well as the academic programming and planning, my own version for Pacific or other institutions that I've worked at, I actually write all of that in those, like under those columns, like you see in the blue and the green columns and what I have there. Most of the green are just placeholders. So that when I'm working with the vice president for student life, we can, you know, talk about uh, what needs to happen or I can learn what strategies they have to keep students engaged as they transition and persist through, through college. The blue is really the health of uh, what goes into uh, a recruitment plan, if you will. So that first enrollment planning um, section. You can see this here. I'll just read that for you so you get a sense of what the details are. And they're really like checklists for me, and I've got timelines associated with it. Also, for my personal one, I'll have numbers within each of these areas as well, too. So I've got some targets at each part of the pipeline, and that'll also flow through in a document, which I'll just show you on the next slides. But for that enrollment goal planning, 
Um, those different segments are uh, prior year post-census analysis. That's the first one of new and continuing student enrollments, which includes multidisciplinary review. So what types of, of services? I used a, uh, I use a program called Lightcast um, to help analyze the health and the projected health of academic programs um, to, to use that to inform, you know, if targets are, you know, are, are, are right or if they're too aggressive. Uh, based on that analysis, new and continuing student uh, enrollment goals are proposed. So that's that little second section there. In concert with all relevant constituents, president, provost, CFO, um, deans, demographic and geographic goals for new student enrollments are established. And so for Pacific, for example, when I got here and, and still, it's very dependent on California enrollments. And one of our strategies is to increase, expand the market outside of the state of California. So that, that's an important piece that'll go into this because yield rates are typically lower in new markets. And so you got to think about that going in. With that, after we bake in, you know, kind of get, get a sense of what the, uh, what the numbers should be, I determined with the, with the CFO and with our director of institutional research, um, gross net tuition revenue in relationship to those proposed enrollment goals. After NTR is set, so after I do that, what I have in here, then we set NTR, new and continuing enrollment goals are baked into the budget, and then I focus on the net tuition revenue number more than the headcount number. Headcount's important to help, to help guide through. But I do that, and I spend a lot of time educating other leaders and the board of directors, board of trustees, board of regents, whichever you work with at your type of institution, um, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that they understand it's, it's mainly about net tuition revenue at these types of institutions. At the state level, you'll have, if you're at a state institution or public institution, um, a lot of that guidance is headcount and geographically related and also sometimes mandated based on what state or, or what, what, what the politics are related to your, your enrollment goals. But if the places that I've worked at, that's really important because if we're in a situation where we're under-enrolling at the undergraduate level, I can over-enroll at the graduate level and balance the budget, if you will, based on determining the net tuition revenue uh, before going into the cycle. Otherwise, oftentimes you'll have a CFO and a president who just want more. You know? And so, so from that perspective, net tuition revenue uh, is a symptom of, of how your enrollment worked out rather than, you know, kind of setting that all. And so this visual has really helped me um, kind of bring people up to speed, if you will. And so building a plan. So I take all of that. It's, it, the other things in there, as you'll see, when you get this and you start to start to look at some of those details, you'll see that uh, it's, it's really like a uh, like lists of options, you know, things that you're doing or want to do that you can pivot really quickly um, to build your, your search strategy, your prospect pool, your inquiry pool, and your applicant pool. And so that's, that's, that's what, how that depiction is really designed. And then, and then I translate that into a document. Um, so building a successful plan, if you will. And so what I've got here is an outline of how I do that for you. Going back to a comment I made, a lot of people, even on campus, don't know what we do. Um, I still get, have you thought about visiting high schools? Uh, you know, things like that still come from other people that shouldn't, shouldn't be saying things like that. And so I prepare this document 
as I'm educating others. So I'll define things as you'll see pretty simply. Um, and I'm also preparing it for me and my team to reference. You know, it's something that we work on that we create and we could always go back and reference if you will. Um, think big about an introduction. And so, so, so what I mean by that is you really want to set the, the stage, the enrollment landscape, um, challenges for private and public institutions, what are the positioning challenges, what are pricing and financial aid challenges in general. And so if you're a private institution or a public institution, you kind of use this introduction uh, to be able to, to be able to clearly state that. So everyone's on the same page and knows what those challenges are. You know, positioning challenges if, you know, if you're not really known outside of your region and you're trying to grow, you know, you know, just really describing that within here. So I've got some examples in there and some suggestions, you know, just a couple of paragraphs for each, se each section, if you will. And then and then really, really talking about and making it clear that the work that you do, the work that we do is very strategic and intentional. And so I describe and define, you know, based on a lot of our uh, our colleagues and and uh, um, other folks that are out there, David Callsbeek, um, you know, other folks that have done a lot of writing, you know, Tom Green and Acro, um, you know, the former Bob Bontrager, and so so lo lots of folks like that have done a lot of research out there, and it's, a, it's an opportunity to cite that and really define what a moment management is. What is the moment management in the context of your institution? Um, and then you define your organizational structures. I've often used these types of recruitment plans, um, the beginning, this, this kind of high-level um, orientation to share what it looks like now and what it should look like in the future to help me always think about how to redesign, you know, the enrollment management function. And then, and then there's, you know, we get into a section of the strategies, if you will. I've got, I'll show you as we walk through these other other things, but these are these are pretty common strategies for private institutions in particular, even some public institutions, um, where we're focused on expanding our market, on retention, telling our story effectively, widening the pipeline, and multi-channel marketing, right? And so I have a slide for each of these and kind of show you how I layer it into the document and then the recruitment plan. And remember, all of this ties back, and it will tie back uh, to meeting those uh, net tuition revenue goals. Um, also, you're putting in your headcount target goals as well, too, because, of course, you know, that's that's a way to help you kind of think about, about meeting those goals. I also put in uh, discount rate, budgeted discount rate targets as well. So that's always helped me kind of kind of manage that process throughout, work more closely with financial aid. Um, and so local, regional, national, international, as I said, Pacific was very regional. And so we're trying to expand beyond the state of California and doing uh, more, more strategic efforts internationally. And so in this section and, and throughout, I'll often put in data analysis, scans, population shifts, um, program-centric growth. Um, I use that tool called Lightcast also to identify certain, you know, areas within states that might be projected to shrink, but areas within states that are projected to grow. You know, so in California, if we're projected to, to shrink in college-bound uh, populations, high school graduates by 4%, there's certain markets like the Bay Area that might be projected to grow 4%, you know, opposite of what's happening in the overall state. So that helps me think differently about maybe regional recruiters or where to, where to, where to kind of 
double down on high, visiting high school visits or ramping up search strategy and things like that. So I'll, also I'll write that in into this type of document. Uh, focusing on retention. So that's, for me, it's more about uh, shaping our class rather than meeting a number. And so, so how do we shape an incoming first year class, transfer class um, that should have an impact on retention, right? Uh, do you have a do you have a residential requirement? If not, what are you doing for your commuter students? And so, making sure that those engage, you know, and so so talking about that, and preparing for that, and uh, really thinking about what it is to shape your class. What are we doing to help our admitted students transition from high school to college? Uh, first year success. How are we connecting? You know, passing the baton, if you will. Um, how are we, again, recruiting students who are more likely to matriculate, persist, graduate, and be, be alumni? How are we recruiting alumni? Not recruiting alumni to recruit for us. This is more about, you know, being strategic about recruiting students who are more likely to stay. And then telling our story effectively. You know, I, you know, three to five, I usually focus on five, but some institutions doing this for the first time, it's sometimes easier to identify three things that make us different than than other institutions, maybe our competition or who we compare ourselves to. Organizing stories on three platforms, well, first, you know, and then expand that to five. So how, how are we organized on the website, on YouTube, on Instagram, you know, and then, you know, take it further to, to other areas. You know, there's different ways to tell the story in those different platforms. Um, how are we mining, you know, student and faculty stories and experiences? How do we engage our audiences? How do we narrow our story for specific majors and things? How are we segmenting? So you describe, you know, you kind of tee it up to describe some of this later on in the document as well, too. Uh, for Stockton, uh, for example, if you Google Stockton, California, a lot of crime statistics come up. Um, you know, I've lived in, you know, this is the smallest city I've lived in in my adult life. There's a lot less crime here than where I've lived. But because it's a smaller city, those those crime stories overtake other stories. So so how do we help change that narrative and uh, and uh, help people understand that it is very safe on campus and you know and beyond, if you will. And so and then expanding our pipeline. And so so the, as as you've seen, you know, there's just I'm sharing you some just different different ways that I've written. Um, this down in that document and the recruitment plan, if we will, again, all tying back to, and it kind of all summarizes back to, you know, meeting that net tuition revenue goal and those headcount goals. Um, and, and so you can see, I get very elementary here. You know, what is a lead? You know, what does search strategy mean? What are we trying to do? And so this is where you can see, I'll, I'll put those numbers and those targets and these types of documents as well, too. Often reverse engineering, you know, if your first year student target is 1,200, you know, you just kind of back yourself up, you know, based on, you know, three years worth of data analysis. And you describe that in there, I use three years worth of data analysis to get to the, you know. And so, so that helps people really understand that there's actually, you know, strategy and helps you, you know, um, meet your targets and goals. Uh, Multi-channel marketing, you know, again, you know, and I and I use these depictions throughout as well too, even if it's repetitive. You know, describing what we're doing for recruitment marketing, how we're how we're cultivating more inquiries, um, what we need in the applicant pool, admitted students, committed students, so far. And then this section, this this strategy gets real 
you know, it's real detailed within each of these, these sections. And I'll layer in what you might think of as a communication plan. And so I break those different sections of that um, student life cycle that I saw into really actions, you know, like touch points, if you will. Um, but even, even beyond that, describe, you know, what we're doing or what we need to do in the online experience search engine optimization, digital marketing, search engine marketing, you know, how we're introducing financial literacy at these early stages, especially if you're an expensive institution like Pacific. Um, what, what, what's, how is social media effective at this early phase? How are we using it? Uh, campus visit programs, travel recruitment. So I describe all of these types of things within the document as it flows through um, organized. And then, you know, again, it's not me doing all the work. I have other people, you know, based on their area of oversight, you know, kind of building out these different types of, of strategies. Inquiry cultivation, um, same thing. You know, this is a nice little little guide, if you will, if you're visual like me, you know, being able to see this, put your own actions in there, your own touch points, your own, own multi-channel, you know, different types of medium, media. Uh, but but really, you know, these are my go-to areas, and then I describe what we're doing for financial wellness. We change from financial literacy to financial wellness. Um, are we using a lead qualification system? How are we engaging parents at this point? Um, alumni engagement. How are we using alumni? Now I'm talking about using alumni to help us um, recruit. You know, convert inquiries to applicants, and then you know we repeat that at different 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 phases. What are we doing or need to do with social media, with digital marketing? Um, how are we optimizing a campus tour? Um, there aren't a lot of other universities around University of Pacific where we're located. So, so we're always trying to get more and more families to come visit campus. We all want that, you know, um, for the most part, because um, a lot of those decisions are made after they visit campus. Uh, travel recruitment at this point, you know, it's just an extension of what I started on the earlier segment of the pipeline. Applicant pool cultivation, same thing. You know, how I, I write, you know, here's a manual, you know, like uh, for how we holistically review. Uh, here's what we're doing for financial aid optimization. Now, I don't describe all of the details. I just in general describe what financial leveraging is. And so if I have 10 different algorithms or models based on the yield rate of majors, of clusters of majors, I'll describe that. I won't describe all the formulas and things like that. Um, and then how are we, you know, how are we assessing the engagement levels? Are people, you know, clicking on the links? All the stuff that we, that we do, but, but just again, a way to describe it. So people who don't know what we do could also look at it and reference and, you know, we make sure we're kind of doing everything. And this really is, is has been where I've worked. Uh, there's often not much communications that happen between someone completing and submitting an application. And when an admit letter goes out or a denial letter or a waitlist letter. And so this is really designed to just keep people engaged, if you will, throughout. But uh, um, so just different different ways to, to try to keep people engaged. And then yield, of course, this is where a lot of institutions I've come to, they do a whole recruitment cycle the month of April, you know, rather than rather than think you think of the overall. And that's just often, you know, because there's been like a lack of a comprehensive strategy. And so so this is a lot more robust, of course. Um, you also have 
you know, like events, you know, your yield events, admitted student days, other visit programs, a lot of financial aid um, appeals might be happening, you know, so deeper dive in the analysis is where the volume starts to come in, you know, whether you like the volume or not, it's still a volume for you to assess where you are with discount rates and things like that. Um, how are the, how's your scoring? Have you scored? Do you want to score? Uh, so different parts of your, you know, your applicant pool, um, if you're working with other partners or if you're using Slate strategically by, you know, did they visit, you know, did they open emails, you know, all of those different types of variables that you look at to try to get an idea of, of people who are more engaged. Are you working with Zimi? Do you have a different type of private network for your admitted students? Are students joining? Are they talking to each other? Did they create an Instagram class up group? You know, th those types of things is uh, kind of all within there. Uh, but again, I've got the actions related to the communication plan layered in there. Because visually, it helps me kind of always think strategically about uh, about what tactics we need to we need to pivot on or change or, or do. Uh, we're also a lot of this, a lot of my recruitment planning is designed to recruit families, not just students. So we're doing just as much. Um, for parents and families of students as we are with the students, if you will, especially at this time, but even, even as we lead up to it. Then for committed student engagement, you know, this is our, our anti-melt. Um, I think about 25% of our students, if I remember correctly from an admitted student survey this year, um, deposit to more than one institution. That's a lot. And so, so that means we're still doing a lot of recruitment. Um, classes start next week and we're still doing a lot of recruitment. Uh, Move-in happened on Saturday. <laughs> we're still, you know, so, so there's, there, there's, it's just, you know, it's, it's not cyclical in my experience like it used to be several years ago. This is a 24 seven, seven job. And so, so I layered in for you just to kind of see that depiction of all the different types of things that you do and where you hand off and and how how we need to start working differently with the academic areas with student life and and uh you know how does the tuition bill look does it make sense is it is it banner limited you know is it oh what about your health insurance for students that don't need it is you know are they waiving it in time or is that a club so so it's really really kind of what i do at this point is describe and try to come up with solutions for barriers, you know, like to make things happen a little more quickly. Um, and so really like in summary of all of this, when you're putting a plan together, and I kind of summarize like, like everything in a collaborative way, like, like it's all about collaboration, right? How do we meld the strategies and tactics to avoid pitfalls and silos uh, of silos? And so I, I, everywhere I've gone to, almost everywhere, it's been very siloed and there's been a lack of trust between enrollment, uh, management, admissions, financial aid and faculty, the academic side of the house, other sides of the house. Um, and so so a lot of the work that I do, and this is probably my social work background, is is uh, relationship based leadership, relationship based um, decision making. And so I try to get to know faculty. I try to get to know um, deans and other people so that we can, you know, kind of plan and make decisions together, if you will. Because I think a lot of folks think they're just handed numbers or handed, 
you know, things and agendas to just do it. And so it's really a way to try to get buy-in because, you know, enrollment, as you all know, I'm preaching to the choir, it's everyone's responsibility, just not our response. We just have to be accountable, you know, for, for a lot of the outcomes, if you will. And so having a plan, putting it together, deploying that plan helps us uh, really, you know, it helps us gain confidence in our teams as well as others gain confidence in the work that we're doing. So I think I kept it with the right at about 30 minutes. Um, and so I want to thank you all for, for participating, for being here, for letting me share um, some of the work that I do very quickly. Here's my, my email address. If you'd like to follow up, please, please feel free to do so. Um, but know that it takes me sometimes a couple of days <laughs> to get back, back to emails. But thank you. I appreciate your attention and your time. And and thank you, Chris. I I'm sitting here listening to this and I'm thinking we just need to do like a week long, a month long. I mean, this is very in depth. I got a ton out of it. Um, first question was one that I was going to ask you after, but I'll ask you here, put you on the spot. Uh, will, are you going to be able to share the slides and I can put those up uh, with the recording as well? Yeah, happy to. I think okay. most of what I've done because it's, because this is a, a lot of this information I share at the Institute I've uh, I've created generic, you know, templates and content so I can easily share. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I just want to make sure there wasn't anything uh, that you want to keep under wraps in there. No, I also have a generic version of the uh, um, student lifecycle model, too. So sometimes attendees will email me and they want that. Mm -hmm. Have that in an Excel version, which is a lot easier to see and then kind of kind of turn into your own, if you will. Yeah. Uh, had several thanks coming in and, and people just really appreciating and loving this one. Uh, also had a question that is more for me, I guess. Yes, this is being recorded. Uh, we'll send that out next week. We'll be all set there. Um, yeah, my voice question. will put you to sleep. So, you know, the podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so there just that if you're looking for something that, you know, it's that, 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 that deep, deep voice, right? You know, and, and Chris, I'm, I'm, I've got two little kids and we've had some weather rolling through. So I didn't, I haven't slept real well and there was no going to sleep. On <laughs> there this you one, go. So you're good. You're good. <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what's a, what's a good place to start? You know, how do you, you know, the old saying, how do you, how do you eat a whale? You have to start with the first bite. So where do you start with something this big? Yeah. So I've always really started with, uh, uh, with the organizational structure um, and, uh, and tying it to, what the enrollment targets are when I first get to an institution, right? Is there is there a miss? And I'm still doing it. I've been here, it'll be three years next month, mid-September. I think September 19th, I'll be here for three years. So I came in during the pandemic. Of course, wasn't looking. Prior to this, I was at Occidental College. I was there for four years, a very different type of institution. Um, and, and like I said, it was undergraduate admission and and financial aid and so i started with uh, okay this is you know there's a miss right and so let's let's start to redesign work with other other areas and i started to chip away at the org while also you know implementing slate slate wasn't implemented you know things like that so so really doing a lot of things in, in real time if you will um but i came to the table with that student life cycle defined Right. And so 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 that helped me dive deeply into those other segments first. But but just tactically, I actually completed that uh, before I started my job 
which helped me learn what I needed to learn about the institution, you know, kind of memorize the majors and all, all that kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. so I would fill in um, really that, that uh, student life cycle model and then start there. That also helped me organize the actual plan on paper. Okay. And, and for my own, I'll add on a little second part to that question. How much of that then is, is the Chris Ferguson magic and how much is I learned from these great resources? Yeah, it's, it's, there's no magic. I'm telling you, man, it was, uh, um, I worked my first job in higher education, uh, from going from, from working for the department of human services in Denver to, uh, uh of a regional institution was uh i was director within a year and a half right with with very little experience and so i i latched on to the snowmass institute as my mentor and learned everything you know from colleagues there that was what was great about the institution it was it was other practitioners it wasn't a whole bunch of vendors if you will and so so it helped me understand how to partner with vendors and uh and kind of learn along the way and be actively involved but it was really a lot of just you know asking mentorship for help and then building things and just and i think it was my my social work background that that where i want to fix things right that's what drove me to to that and so it's really really trying to look at it as okay the organization's slightly broken here it's, it's working really well here and uh, kind of honing in on how to how to fix if you will and and do, so it was, it was really just kind of it's different at every institution I've worked at. So. Uh, so who all do you have sit on the melt team to help out there? So interesting. That's, that's a good, we, we actually have that melt team is managed as, as led by the provost. Um, and I actually, that's where I was this morning before I, you know, came right into this presentation. We meet every Thursday morning, um, usually from eight 30 to 10. And, uh, and on that team, at the cabinet level, we have our um, CIO, our vice president for technology. We have our CFO. We have myself. And we have our vice president for student life. We have our dean of students, dean of library services, dean of, uh, you know, kind of like like the, the person in charge of uh, student support services within the library as well. We have the registrar on that team. We have every academic dean on that team as well, too and uh and our director of institutional research it's a pretty large group and we look at um all like right like today we were, we were walking through the financial clearance process who showed up for orientation who didn't show up for orientation who showed up for housing who didn't show up for housing and things like that so and that, that we actually meet this is an annual meeting and so depending on where we are in the season is where we focus on yield uh melt and so we actually call it a, a student success and retention council okay the the one that that i wasn't expecting in there is cio what what sort of role is that if i can a uh, critical it. role a lot of people don't think about that mm -hmm. right so the cio is uh you know uh, responsible for technology issues banner integration issues um you know really hearing you know directly from it so we have groups of international students who haven't been able to log in, you know, for whatever reason, because they're arriving late because of visa and travel, you know, and so um, really, really helping us problem solve from a technology perspective. You know, the, our housing system is different than our slate system. That's different than, you know, like 
canvas and so how how can we you know how can he help us uh, kind of have those systems talk better um so that we're able to do the great work that we need to do in working with students rather than you know trying to find everything yeah yeah uh, another question here. How are you breaking down the silos between departments to build more collaboration? Oh, gosh. No, that's, that's an excellent question. I do, do we have a couple hours I here? Do, <laughs> I do three very intentional, um, mostly fun tactics, right? So I started about a year and a half ago. And I did this. I, some of this I do in collaboration with who I call my sister at work, the vice president for student life. Um, we send out a weekly yield and retention newsletter to the entire um, administration, faculty, staff of the institution, everyone but students, right? It's all kind of, and what I do is I, I try to highlight something that a faculty member is doing on a weekly basis that relates to yield and or retention. And the vice president of student life does something similar related to student engagement in that newsletter. It's pretty brief. It's tight. I've got the marketing department kind of managing it right now, and it's branded and all of that. We have weekly Wednesday coffee chats at 8.30 in the morning behind our welcome center, which kind of floods out to the outside. When the weather's not so great, too hot, and all of that, I bring it into our one-stop shop, which is on the bottom floor of the hall that you see behind me in this picture. And so um, I'd be actually looking at um, Burns Tower, which is where we have these coffee chats. I invite the entire community. Every every Wednesday, I provide donuts. We have a coffee machine there. People can bring their own drinks, coffee or water. And we, we spend about half an hour giving updates. Here's where we are with the numbers. Here's what we're doing. And it allows anyone to come and informal. You know, they can ask a question in front of the group. And then we kind of hang out for another half an hour afterwards. A lot of people like to come up to me or others one-on-one. -on -one. Um, that's now a tradition. And so and then I also do monthly uh, what I call progress reports that I do. Um, I start at 5.15 and they're, they're craft beer and craft wine, um, like happy hours basically, but you know, risk management <laughs> wanted me to call it something else. So it's called progress reports. And so that was really as, at the request of some faculty who said they want to come to coffee chest, but they can't because it's always at a time where it's hard for them to get. So I said, well, what if I did a happy hour? You know, so, so I do that as well too. That is, is significantly breaking down silos and barriers. Another thing that I do that, that breaks down barriers, which is a little more, you know, professional, <laughs> is, uh, is using Lightcast. It used to be called MZ, and it's a software tool that marries um, college completion data with workforce data. So if a group of faculty are thinking about a new program or are frustrated with the lack of enrollments in a current program, I'll sit with that faculty, with that database, you know, and, and uh, kind of walk through building a report and uh, really give them some objective data related uh, to, you know, their questions. And so that that's, that's that I don't think they're used to that coming from enrollment management. So that's really helped me, you know, kind of kind of arrive at the table um, with some different types of information to help them, you know, kind of for me to develop working relationships, if you will. Yeah. Very, uh, very important question here. Which has the better attendance, the coffee or the craft wine and beer? The coffee. Okay. Really? <laughs> I think, I think the, the, the craft beer and wine is, uh, so I'm, I'm a, I also curate a beer fest with, with the 
craft beer lawyer, believe it or not, from our law school. Um, and that's, that kicks off our homecoming every year. Mm -hmm. uh, so I work at a great place that also, and so we curate that. And, and so I think a lot of people come, come there as well too, but there's still, there's a lot of folks that have to get their kids, you know, right yeah. after work and stuff like that. So I think the coffee chat, uh, is probably a little more well attended. Yeah. Uh, there was a request to see sort of what that weekly update email looks like. Uh, I'm sure you probably can't send out exactly what one of those is because of the oh, data. Oh, absolutely, I can. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's not. It's nothing. You know, um, I'd be happy to send that as well too. I think Will okay. will probably give me a list of things to to, to follow up. It's yeah. real. I, I, I st I'd say about six months into it, I started to get a little long winded, and, uh, um, and and then I quickly came back to the. You just let's keep it tight. Yeah. A couple of paragraphs. Um, a picture. I always have a picture, and so so our dean of the law school does handwritten notes, mm -hmm. um, and so the first one that I sent, I highlighted him. You know, he does that for every single admitted student, and gets some pretty cool feedback. So I had someone from his campus take a picture of him writing that, and mm -hmm. so so this, I use a photo that that shares that. If we do, we did a video a couple weeks ago about. Uh, how great Stockton is, you know, to kind of counter that. And so we, we we were telling the community, hey, our marketing team made this video. They went around Stockton and, you know, got business owners to say, welcome to Stockton, you know, all throughout. And so I, 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 we talked about how important it is to talk about how it's great to be in a community that we can work with. And uh, this is a, you know, a video that we sent. And so, and then they could see the video and all of that. So lots of different, different things, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I'll, I'll follow up with an email. We'll we'll figure all this out. But uh, yeah, it's also great. good for volunteers, you know, for open house, mm -hmm. uh, admitted student days. You kind of you create a volunteer sheet. You're listing that in there and you'll get a lot of people who you wouldn't wouldn't touch. And it was really honestly, I realized the deans probably because they were just too busy, weren't really communicating a lot of the stuff that they that we thought. And so I wanted to kind of just go out to the entire entire community, if you will. Yeah. And we have time for one more question here. Um, how does your team work with marketing? Could you briefly talk about the responsibility of the teams with regard to enrollment and admissions? The marketing reports to me. They work pretty well then, huh? <laughs> so so then we also have what's called strategic communications, which mm -hmm. is more PR and uh and and uh more branding, if you will, for the entire university. We work very well and very close with that team. I recently started a digital analytics meeting that includes both sides of the house so that we can do a better job of a communicating what we're doing and how to show if it's working or not and then how to better track you know from digital uh, from search marketing honestly um, all the way through you know enrollment and so I've had a, a very difficult time figuring out how to do that and so we started this meeting to try and you know make sure we've got the right minds in the room and so uh, we work very well together outside of our enrollment marketing office. Yeah. So, so are they in a lot of the same meetings together then? And... Um, not necessarily. I think that uh, they do on their own, you know, so social media strategy is, uh, is working more closely together. So they meet on a regular basis, you know, um, sometimes are, you know, we each have a full-time videographer, and so they'll often partner on larger events together. And so there, there's a lot of collaboration like that. Um, but they're more focused on larger stories and aggregating for the community on a daily basis, 
what stories are out there related to to Pacific, and you know, so it's and then and then the leader of strategic communications is also on the cabinet, and so we, you know, from a leadership perspective, we work very well together. So I, I, I assume that question is coming from someone who whose marketing department probably reports out out that way, you know, to someone else. But that 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 leader of strategic communications reports to the, the president directly as well. So it's pretty cool that you know both of us report to the president and work work well together from a leadership perspective. We're actually launching a search right now for the next um, chief communications officer for strategic communications. So that's a good plug for anyone here here watching. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Chris, I wish we had seven more hours here, but uh, right. I really want to thank you for the time today. Uh, we'll be in touch next week with the recording and, and other assets. Well, thank you. We'll appreciate it. And uh, thanks, everyone, again, you know, for uh, spending an hour with me. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, have a great one. All right. You too.